Bibles this morning. And why don't we turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. To a familiar story. But a timely story for us today. The story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10 and verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law uh, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this. And you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He too, uh, so too, a Levi, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on on his own donkey, took him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And uh, as we consider those, that passage today, and as we come to prayer, uh, let's pray for those uh, who amongst us are sick at the moment and people who around us uh, need our prayers in our world and... Um, in Malawi as well. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you that you are our God, that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to tell us and to show us how we're to live. God, we thank you that Jesus not only told us that you love us, but that he made us possible for us to have a relationship with you by giving his life so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be restored and have a relationship with you and have life to the full. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for reaching out to us, for revealing yourself to us, for giving us your word, for making it possible for us to come to you. And we we praise you this morning that we can come and worship you because of Jesus. God, this morning as we gather we pray that we would be so aware of the needs 
of those around us. We pray that as we worship you this morning, we would be aware of people who might be in great need of our love and of our care. And God, we would pray this morning for people in our church who are sick at this time. We pray for those who are having treatment for illnesses, who are in the process of finding out diagnoses or, or taking the next steps in, in their treatment. We just ask, God, that you would be comforting them at this time. We want to pray particularly for uh, Lindsay McKernan as he continues re- to recover from his heart operation and for Gwen Lord in rehab. Um, and we just pray that you'd continue to help her as she recovers. God, our prayers are, are with Ian Thomason. We pray for Ian and Louise and the family and we pray for him in hospital that uh, you would really bring healing to him and that the clot would uh, really um, yeah, be, be removed and we pray that he would find healing very quickly, Lord. Thank you for your care for him. And we pray for uh, many others. We pray for uh, friends of family that we know. We think of Peter Westlake, of friends of the Shermers, and we just ask that you would be healing him as he undergoes treatment for cancer. God, for uh, so many others that we know that we just lift up to you now in the quietness of our heart and we just say their names to you and ask that you would touch them and heal them today. God, we think of the people in China this morning. We ask for your continued care of them and help them to recover after the earthquake. God, our prayers are for those in Burma today. We pray that you would continue to help aid and support come to those people who are starving and in desperate need. God, our prayers go out to the people of Zimbabwe today. And we pray that you would uh, bring an end to the escalation of violence and the threat of all-out war. God, our prayers are with the people of Malawi today and that you would be helping John Wilmont and the Gervins, John and Angela Wilmont and the Gervins, and God, that you would help the Dicks and all those that are ministering and working in this area. And may they be a great blessing to the Yao people as they discover and learn more about you, Lord Jesus. God, speak to us today. We pray for the kids' church and for many uh, kids that have come invited by friends. We pray that this would be a really special service to them. And God, as we open up our hearts and hear your whispers, speak to us this morning, God. Uh, speak your life-giving word afresh into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to just invite now uh, Rebecca Gill and Darren Miles to come up and share. Why don't you welcome them this morning?
And uh, you'll notice on your news sheet uh, that next week we have some people that have spent time in Malawi, uh, Stan and Elaine Davey, so we're looking forward to them sharing with us next week. The other thing is, right now, Phil is down in Wangaratta at the Wangaratta Church. Had a great time there last week. I know you prayed for me and uh, I took our greetings to that church there. It was just a lovely time, uh, 25 to 30 people in Wangaratta and very welcoming and uh, it was just great that you were praying for us and that we were there and uh, let's, you know, why don't we just in our hearts remember Phil as he's down there today and next week Gail's down there and the following week Mason's going down there and then after that we've got Dave Rowlings as well. So we're um, getting to know the Wangaratta Church and helping them while their pastor Ian is on uh, holidays as well. I wonder what would happen if uh, Jesus came to Wodonga um, and sort of started walking down High Street, you know, and um, got to Woodland Grove, you know, and uh, sort of stood there amongst the people and maybe got up on one of the chairs and just started to take questions from people. I wonder what would happen. I reckon there would be some questions that would be thrown at him. Maybe someone might ask things like, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, what can we do about all the uh, binge drinking that's going on amongst young people today? How can we combat that? You know, what can we do, Jesus? I reckon uh, there would be other people that might say, Jesus, do you think the you know, train line will ever be moved out of the heart of Wodonga? <laughs> Maybe people would ask Jesus, what can we do about the domestic violence and the violence that seems to be happening in our community? What, what do you think, Jesus? And I, I wonder, I, I'd guess that perhaps the question that Jesus got in our passage today might come up again, maybe in a different form. Maybe we'd ask it a different way today. But perhaps someone would, from the back, put their hand up and say, Jesus, you know, how do we get to have eternal life? You know, how do we get to be with you? You know, what do we need to do to earn our favour with you? Because I think most people feel that we've got to do something. And little would they know that Jesus had come and was telling them and teaching them about who God was and that showing them that he was actually God in the flesh and that the only way that they could come to know God and to love him with all their heart and soul and mind was through putting their trust in him and being forgiven and bearing the fruit that shows a life connected to Christ. And as Jesus was revealing who he was to them, someone asked this question and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? The man was a lawyer and a lawyer in those days was not someone like in our days where you would, you know, kind of figure out technical points of law, but a lawyer would be one who would talk about the law, God's law from the Bible, a biblical scholar. And he stood uh, which sort of shows respect and starting to honour, and he calls Jesus teacher as he asks the question. But his motives weren't all true. He was wanting to test 
Jesus. So he asks the question and Jesus, the masterful teacher, responds and says, what do you think? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And I think this uh, lawyer, this expert, had actually heard Jesus before talking. There's another time when people said, how do you sum up all the things? What's the most important out of all the laws? And Jesus had given this answer then. And I think he must have known that and heard that and responded. And Jesus said, you're right. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. For one who loves God with all their heart and soul, loves God from within their very being, one who loves God with their mind rationally, rationally, not just emotions, but thoughtfully grasping their faith and responding to God in love, and one who uh, loves God with all their strength by doing everything they can to outwardly show their love for God, then surely they're doing what God requires. But not only that, one who demonstrates practically in the love for those around them that the love that they've received from God, then that is right. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. And perhaps I'd imagine if this uh, took place, uh, this question in Wodonga might not come back too much because most of us aren't thinking about how we can actually love others. Most of us, it seems today, are trying to look after our own things and our own people and care just for our own sort of little circle of family that we're responsible for. But someone in the crowd that day said, uh, the the expert in the law said, and who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? And for us, this day, the question of who is my neighbour is just as important as it was back then. Who are we to care for? How are we to care for them? And so right while everyone sort of was hanging on every word, Jesus told a story to explain who is my neighbour. Jesus tells a story and he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The 27-kilometre road from Jerusalem, which is very high, down to Jericho, uh, probably about 3,600 feet decline in just that short distance of 27 kilometres, has always been a really well-known a dangerous road to travel, you know, right, right through history. People going along that road have often come amongst danger. The reason is the road is very narrow and right next to the road are caves where often thieves have waited and uh, beaten and attacked people coming and making the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the details in this story about the man are intentionally left out. We don't actually know what his nationality was or who he was. And the Jewish listeners of the day, listening to Jesus' story, would have just assumed that he was a Jew. He's beaten. 
He's stripped and he's left half dead. Um, I, I guess the reason might be that he resisted the robbers. We can only guess. But maybe he tried to put up a fight and ended up being really beaten badly. Um, the, the rabbis of Jesus' time identified different stages of death. The, the half-dead mentioned in this passage uh, would be the same rabbinic category for next to death. There was another, um, it, it kind, of, kind of meant at the point of death. They had another worse sort of stage, which meant um, one just expiring. So you get the idea that he's almost dead. Uh, Kenneth E. Bailey writes, clearly the man is unconscious and thus not able to identify himself. He can't speak, nor can his identity be ascertained by an onlooker. The reason is he can't speak, so he can't, a passersby wouldn't be able to understand his dialect or his language, so understand what sort of religious or racial background that he's from. But also the clothes that he's wearing have been stripped off him. So you can't look at the kind of clothes that he's wearing to identify what kind of person he was. And Jesus hasn't told us his nationality. So we have just a person, half dead, lying on the ground. He's exposed in a remote place and seriously injured. And the expectation must have been that he is surely going to die being left there. What an incredible situation. And the hearers would have been going, what's going to happen to this guy? What a terrible place to be in. And they'd be longing for relief as the story unfolded. But despite all their anxiety for him, they would have sighed a relief when Jesus told them, that a priest was coming along. Surely this would aid and help the victim and this would bring the relief that the listeners were hope, hoping for. And in verse 31 it says, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Our hopes as listeners to the story are immediately dashed I mean, they're taken away. He passes by the priest on the other side. And we don't know why no help has been offered, but we know that the man's situation is looking bleaker and bleaker than ever. Many commentators believe that this priest, a priest being someone in those days from the upper classes of society, would have had a... A riding animal, like a horse, a donkey, or a, or a mule. And you might say, well, why doesn't it say that he came along on his mule? And it'd probably be for the same reason where if, if I say to Mandy, I'm just going down the street, I don't have to sort of say, Mandy, I'm just going down the street in my car. You know, Mandy would look and say, why on earth are you telling me that about the car? And people believe that it would have just been understood that someone from the upper sort of areas of society, upper class stages, would have had a donkey and goes without saying. And that adds to the drama because if he did have a riding, uh, an animal that he was riding, then 
we can understand, it makes it just worse that he sort of went by. If he didn't, we could sort of say, well, you know, what could he have done? Just helped offer first aid. But he kept riding. Why wouldn't he have stopped? A priest in Jesus' times uh, would have been aware of the kind of thoughts and teachings that were in the book of Sirach, which is a a book in the Apocrypha that's still in uh, Catholic Bibles today. And especially verses 12 and uh, chapter 12 and verses 1 to 7, this is what it says. And this is what perhaps the priest was aware of, this kind of teaching. If you do a good turn, know for whom you are doing it. If your good deeds, uh, and your good deeds will not go to waste, do good to a a devout man and you will receive a reward. If not from him, then certainly from the Most High. Give to a devout man. Do not help the sinner. Do good to a humble man. Give nothing to a godless one. Refuse him bread. Do not give him any. It might make him stronger than you are. Then you would be repaid evil twice over for all the good you had done him. For the Most High himself detests sinners and will repay the wicked with a vengeance. Give to the good man and do not go to the help of the sinner. You can understand the priest looking, not knowing whether he's a good man or a bad man, not knowing whether he's a good Jewish believer or whether he's one of those from another area. And because he's unconscious and can't speak, we we assume, and because he's stripped, there's no way of telling. He would likely have been influenced by some of these teachings and he would have been paralysed as well, not just by those thoughts, but by the rules of the religious system that he was caught up in as a priest. Uh, Purity as a priest was of utmost importance. And if he had touched a dead man or come even within a close range of a dead body, then he would be declared defiled and unable to offer the offerings at the temple. Now, he'd been up at the temple in Jerusalem and was going back to his home in in Jericho, it seems, where he would continue to operate as a priest there. And as part of the tithes and offerings, him ministering those would be to organise them, to, to help offer the offerings, but also to take some for his family. So by going too close to this dead person, if he was almost half dead and couldn't be told whether he was actually dead or not, he was putting the jeopardy of his family. They might not eat that week if he was defiled. It was risky for this man. And so he was a victim of the rule book. The ethical and theological system that he was part of had been organised into do's and don'ts so that he, it actually stopped him from doing the very thing that the law was supposed to do. Help us love God and love our neighbour. The desperateness of this man's plight 
as the priest walked by is just escalated even further when a second traveller, a Levite, not quite as good a candidate as the priest, but a helper at the temple, actually does exactly what the priest did. So too, it says in verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passing by, uh, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. At least now the Levi went over and came to the place where he was, but still passed by on the other side. What possible developments can the people in the story, listening to the story, think could happen now? Like this has happened, the priest has walked by, the Levite has walked by, and our high expectations of the priest and of the Levite have not been you know, realised. Imagine now if an ordinary Jew came along and helped the man. Then that would be a real slap into the face to the, of the religious people of the day, wouldn't it? To say a priest and a Levite, but an ordinary Jew came and helped. See? The, Jew, the, the normal Jewish man. was, But it doesn't happen like that. And perhaps we could think maybe God's going to send an angel to help this man and God will be a hero in it. But what an unexpected shock that happens. A Samaritan comes. Samaritans aren't even known to be in the area and walking in on that road where there were thieves and robbers and it was known for being bad was highly unexpected. But even seeing him in the story is not a hopeful development. People would have thought, the Jewish people, as they heard, what a wretched person, the Samaritan. Ungodly. Someone who's a half-breed. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans. It would be like saying to an Israeli that a person from Palestine came. Like a you know, American saying an Iraqi terrorist came. Uh, it couldn't be more uh, separate, the two people. And the people there would have been thinking, oh, what? But though we have no positive expectations, actually the Samaritan's arrival brings relief. And the tragedy of this man half dead is averted. And the Samaritan so identifies with the situation of the needy man that he helps him and he feels compelled to come to his aid and to not only um, to help him but to bind the wounds and find help for him. Even though this, if the man was Jew, Jewish, he would have normally detested the Samaritan. But because of the gravity of the situation, he accepts, would have, accepts the help. And people know that the urgency of the situation means that it is right that this Jew, if it was, would accept help from even a Samaritan. What does this story have to say to us today? Jesus told this story, remember, to answer the question of who is my neighbour? And a Samaritan was a neighbour to one half-dead 
whose identity is unknown. I think Jesus wanted us to understand that a neighbour is the one when you're half dead, when you're unable to help and have no one to call out to, comes to your help, comes to your aid. I think Jesus was saying, the one who's the neighbour is the one who comes to you when you are in greatest need. So what can we take? Just some principles I want to quickly just bring out for us today. I think first of all, Jesus wants us to be ready to love by stopping. But the Samaritan, as he travelled, he came where the man was and he saw him and he took pity on him. You know why I think we often, as people, uh, don't do what the Samaritan did? We don't have time to see all the needs around us and to respond and to engage with those that are in greatest need in our world. Many of us had never heard about the Yao people or even have ever understood what it must be like to live in a place where so many die so early because of disease and suffering and AIDS. Many of us have never experienced hunger in our lives. And this month, We're stopping and we're trying to engage with some of the things that people not like us experience. Jesus tells the story of the man and no doubt he was on business and he was travelling and he was going somewhere and this was an unplanned interruption to his journey. And the verse says that when he saw him, he felt deep pity. The other saw him and passed by and he felt deep pity and he stopped. I wonder, do you feel deep pity when you see people in great need? Jesus did. You'll remember times when a a woman in a busy crowd touched touched Jesus and Jesus stopped in the midst of the crowd and said, who touched me? He stopped. He cared. You remember blind Bartimaeus sitting by the side of the road and just hearing the crowd going by and he said, who's coming? Jesus, Jesus. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all the people shouting around and the crowds of people hearing and they said, be quiet, be quiet, blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. What can I do for you? Right in the midst of the noise, Jesus stops and hears the hurting one, the one who's in great need. Remember the children? They wanted to come to Jesus and the disciples hindered them, saying, don't come, you know, you're not important enough. You're not, you, you. Jesus said, don't stop them, let them come to me. I think the first thing of responding and loving the way Jesus wants, being a neighbour to people, is to love by stopping, by stopping. You know, I remember uh, many years ago my brother uh, went through a, a great tragedy in their family. They had uh, premature twins. Uh, uh, they were born very, very premature. And they were both in ICU and one of them got through um, very well and very healthily, but the other uh, had complications, which meant that she was to spend over a year in hospital. You know, uh, just pain upon pain for the family. And I remember after a year and a half of them going through this struggle, my brother sat down 
with me at a restaurant one day and he said, you know, Jonathan, I don't know how to quite tell you this, but if your daughter went through what my daughter has been through, I would have been around much more than you have for me. And I just had to say, here's a pastor busy visiting everyone else and yet my own brother felt that I hadn't cared for him. You know, I feel like the, I felt at that point like the priest saying, yeah, quick, I'm, I'm too busy doing God's work to actually care and be there for my brother. And I think the challenge for us that Jesus would say is, you know, you're probably not in a place where you're desperate, but what I want you to do is stop enough to put yourself in the place of what it would feel like to be starving, hungry, in a hospital for 12 months with your daughter, you know, going through a divorce, separation, being alone. Uh, put yourself, stop enough to do that. Second thing, Jesus wants me to bravely love by risking. It says in verse 34 that he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He went to him. You know, instead of just when we stop, sometimes we stop and we're aware of things, but we don't actually engage. And the priest didn't go to him. The priest passed on the other side. The Levite uh, went over to the place that he was. The Samaritan went to him, right over to him. You know, when we see needs, get close to them. Start to understand what's going on. Ask questions about how we can help, what we can do. And I think as we're stopping, we're starting to understand that there is some great needs that we as a church can help this June. I mean, we can, we're understanding that by actually giving we can actually help someone get accommodation, to get food, to get the training and the teaching that they can take back with them to affect a life group. And I saw you know, 40 people in some of these life groups and can transform this life group for 100 bucks a year. You think, wow, now we're actually not just stopping and hearing, we're actually starting to understand and engage with what difference can be made when we actually start to act. I wonder about uh, you. Are you going to risk stepping out of your comfort zone? Are you going to look beyond your comfort? Stepping out might be actually taking a big step. John and John Wilmot and Scott Gervin have done this. They've left their comfort zone to go to Malawi, taken their families. Remember when Scott was here once, he, he uh, told us, you know, not only about the risk of burnout and fatigue and uh, the, the challenges of disease and, and dangers that they face there, but I remember him talking to us about the incredible risk that they faced over there. I remember them saying that there was a, once there's a, a list that was put out that they would pay um, some Islam people, uh, the followers of Islam had put out, and they would pay $5 US to anyone who would kill one of them, the Christians, you know, in the area. And so the Wilmonts and the Gervins live in a risky life. 
They didn't have to, but they bravely loved. They risked. They took a risk. What's God saying to you? Is it taking a risk financially? Next year, we're, you know, we're looking at, at, at sending a team to Malawi. Is he saying to you, I might even risk going there and seeing what they're going through and praying, God, what are you saying to me about sending me there? Maybe the risk is for you to show some kindness to your next door neighbour or to someone at school who's going through you know, a really tough time or at workplace who you know you can be a neighbour to because you know that they're in need and if you're in that need, you would want them to help you in the way that you want to help them. Take a risk. Take a risk. I think, too, Jesus wants me and you to demonstrate love by acting. So he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You know, oil and wine were often used for sacrifices. This was what the priest would be pouring every day, you know, the sacrifice thing. And here the Samaritan, the ungodly, you know, half-breed is pouring on the healing oil and wine onto this dying person. And I think Jesus is saying that he wants us to demonstrate love by acting. You know, every time that you give, I mean, you know, your regular tithes and offerings, you know, we say it's good to give generously and freely. And, you know, Mandy and I, we give, we give 10% and we encourage people you to, to give in a proportion, you know, that, that you feel God is saying to you. We feel that, you know, the Old Testament clearly says 10% and in the New Testament it says be really generous. So, you know, I think kind of 10% is a great starting point. But, you know, every time you give to that in our normal regular offering, you know what happens? It enables our church to meet the needs of people who are in the vulnerable, hurting place. And we have counselling that your giving helps to enable takes place. We have food bank. Just this long weekend, the church was not open and I got a call. You know, we're hungry. And a lady went through the rain with her pram to just come and get a bag of food that we offer. And that's because of you giving and bringing food each week and enabling us to have a church and staff that's able to help those needs. Every time you give, you help our church uh, help the needs of the hurting through our pastoral team. And every time you give to us, it helps share the gospel. So as you're giving regularly each week, that's so important. As you give over and above your regular tithes and offerings to the missions, you're helping people who are on the most desperate brink to find hope. I want to challenge you to give by acting, but you don't have to just, it's not just giving financially that's all, that helps. That's not the only way. We can do that by being thoughtful and active, by thinking, can I bake a cake? Can I drop in? Can I invite someone over to coffee? Can we have a, a night together where we invite some friends and say, just come and be with us. We know you, you, we want to catch up with you. you. We know you might be alone or feeling down. You, you know, just love them. And final thing, Jesus wants me to excel by being generous. This good Samaritan, he didn't stop. 
he, he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. The next day, he took two silver coins. It's supposed to be around 24 days of uh, you know, looking after food and boarding. And he said, look after him and said, when I return, I will re- reimburse you for any extra expense you have. There is an overwhelming generosity that this Samaritan had. And you know what? I don't think I've been impacted any more greatly than by the generosity of people in my life. You know, when people don't give what's expected, but when they give over what's expected. You know, I've told you time, times again about one time when we were in Bible college. I was in Bible college. Mandy was on support for her role in, in a mission that she was working with. And we found, you know, uh, 10 fresh $100 bills, you know, $1,000 just in our envelope, in our letterbox. And it was overwhelming. I can remember times when our family went and visited another family and they had the most exquisite meal for us and feeling, you've gone all out. Have you ever had a party or a, something thrown for you that was just lavish? Ah, oh, the Samaritan went over the top. And what a demonstration of love it was. You know, as we close uh, in these last moments, I just want to, when it comes to asking who is your neighbour, I want to challenge you to respond to the needs that you see around you and say, God, how can I act empathising as though I was the one half dead, naked, without any means of help? How would I want people to help me? And now that I'm not down there currently, I'm living in a great country, I've got an income, I've got some means to help others, now, how, now let me help in the way that I would want to be helped if I was in that desperate position. Jesus said, now which of these three would you say was the neighbour who was a, uh, to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise, church. God has poured out his generous love on you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to say everything that you've ever done against me, the sin that you have committed, the way you might have turned your back on me, I forgive you. As he nailed to the cross, he took the punishment that you and I deserve so we can be set free, so we can be united to God and all our guilt and all our shame and all our hurt and all our brokenness and all our being left half dead on the road with no hope of eternal life has been paid in full by Jesus. It makes me want to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. It makes me want to receive his love and go and do likewise, loving neighbours as myself. Let's pray together as we continue to wrestle with these things as a church. Let's pray. God, your word is so powerful. You challenge us, God, to not just do what's expected, 
but to love with the kind of love that you have shown to us. Extravagant love. Extraordinary love. And we pray for people who are the poorest of the poor, those that are in great need. And God, we pray that you'd help us to be diligent now that we'd start to be putting aside a little amount each week and that we'd be starting to think of what we can give up and how we can help so that we can give this, this uh, 29th of June. And God, help us this week to just live our lives at school, at work, at home, in our neighbourhood, just thinking, Lord, let us live in the way that we would love to be treated if we were on the side of the road hurt, beaten and left half dead. And may you be glorified, God, as we live this way in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, just love you to grab your blue card right out in front of you. It's in the news sheet there. And love you to just um, spend some time. If you could write your name on, on it, that would be great. We'd love everyone just to do that in these next moments. And then... If you could put on the back, if there's a prayer need, someone you know who's really needing, is hurting and needs care and help, we'd love to pray with you for that person. Just write, write the prayer need down and we'll pray. Um, as there's a group that meets Wednesdays, they'll pray. If there's a decision that you want to be making today, just, just put that down on the back too. If you'd like to be in the inquirer's course and say, yes, I'd like to consider becoming a Christian, um, being baptised, becoming a church member, just write, Inquirer's course, and uh, I'll contact you before Tuesday night. That would be great. Just spend a few moments to do that now. Let's respond.